Hello again, this is Noah and John from Urban Digs and we are Talking Manhattan and today I'm here with Amir Karangi from The Real Deal, founder of The Real Deal. Thank you for joining us. Publisher. Thank you, Noah. Thank you, guys. Publisher? Thanks for having me. Yeah. Publisher. You, did you found the company? Publisher, founder, owner, the whole lot. Okay. It's a lot of hats. Check writer. You got a lot right. of hats. Yeah. I'm familiar with a lot of hats theory. We do a lot <laughs> of hats over here, too. Right. Um, all right, cool. So, so basically, this whole podcast is, is I usually have brokers on, and we try to talk about the front lines um, so that we can bridge the gap of the lagging sales trends and figure out what the hell's going on out there. Which, by the way, you know, I always hear about how much respect uh, your data gets from oh, thank the, you. the brokerage side. Oh, thank you. Is, thank you very much. Yeah. That's, that's a very high compliment. I appreciate that. Um, and I thought you'd be great for this show because you're on the, the media side of it. So um, the first question I like to ask is, is kind of what's going on out there and hoping you can answer from a media perspective. Well, you know, we we went through this, we were through the last cycle. There was a lot of developers and people who came into the market who never saw uh, the recession, who never had to go through the recession. And that was a very tragic time for New York real estate. I was in Brooklyn when, uh, you know, September 11th happened. Mm -hmm. I was in, you know, I was in New York when the internet crash, uh, the stock market crash in 2000. And, uh, you know, we've been through all those sort of uh, changes uh, and, I feel like we've gone through these cycles where a lot of people have forgotten about them. So yeah. from one cycle to the last, I'm always thinking about when is it going to come, you know, full circle yeah. and crash. And every cycle comes to an end, right? Every cycle yeah. is a, uh, it's a cycle. So it's a circular uh, round thing that, you know, uh, eventually comes to an end. Um, so I'm uh, right now I'm sort of nervous about uh, all the building and all the development that's happening mm -hmm. and uh, not so much... Uh, the, it's people, developers are always like, well, you know, we're short on units in the city. And that's not really the issue. You know, the issue is affordable housing. And by affordable housing, I'm not talking about Section 8 or, you know, uh, uh, college dorms or anything like that. Right. I'm talking about like $2 million or less, you know, which in, you know, in most places, most uh, popular metropolitans around the country, that's like super high luxury. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but uh, in New York, uh, you know, people keep building these... Uh, developments and uh, developers argue that there's not enough housing mm -hmm. but uh, all you know like uh, for example on the high line right mm -hmm. uh, we did a tally of all the developments on the high line and you'd be surprised to know that like take a wild guess how many developments since 2013 how many developments do you think uh, went up around the high line I mean I have I have no idea I mean 30, 40? So like close to 90, right? Okay. And you you know, you don't hear about the love. And this is commercial and mm -hmm. residential. Okay. And it's so, uh, they're so priced out. There's sponsor units and they're not large developments. They're small developments. They're like 20 units, 25 units, uh, you know, at, at the most like 40, 50 units. Mm -hmm. And uh, they still have sponsor units left from uh, 2013, 2014 wow, right. around these. And then you're adding more product to that. Like really large highline projects are coming, about to come online. And uh, you know, from my, what I understand, the uh, the smallest apartment, like at the is, is it the XI or the Xi? I don't know. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, in in Chinese, I guess it would be Xi, and yeah. in uh, Roman, it would be XI. Uh, but you know, their I think their minimum uh, priced apartment is uh, like starts at eight million dollars. You know, so right, and these are coming online. So these are these are projects that going to go on top of it. They're going to go on top of everything okay, gotcha. that exists. Right, and you know the High Line is already one of the most expensive neighborhoods. Uh, you know, for new developments in the city, there, it's supposed to be around twenty eight hundred dollars, twenty seven hundred dollar foot average right. for new developments. And it's, I mean, you you live you're from the city. You guys are in the city. How many people do you know that can buy eight million dollar apartments? Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm in you know. Uh, 
I, I we don't have the right friends, I guess, but yeah. I don't I don't have that many friends <laughs> right. that can buy eight million dollar apartments. And I, what I'm curious about is the demographic of these buyers. Like who right. are they who are coming in and buying uh, uh, eight million dollar apartments? Well, because a lot of things changed. I mean, the LLCs got trapped, and I mean, they want to you can't hide. You're not really using uh, Manhattan real estate as a safety deposit box anymore. I mean, things have changed a little bit. Right. So I don't know the answer. Which I'm not I'm not for that. I want people to be able to use Manhattan as a safety deposit box. Right. But I really think that you need affordable housing, uh, like real affordable housing that, uh, you know, I have 80 people in this office. Uh, none of them can afford to live anywhere near the High Line unless they have like inherited wealth or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. But from like regular jobs or even like executive level jobs, you can't afford to buy, uh, you know, some of the housing stock that's right. in the city or the, some of the stuff that's going up. I mean, I, I see developments going up in uh, Harlem and in parts of Brooklyn that's like a, a bit more manageable. Mm-hmm. But in terms of what you get, it's just not worth it. I mean, I, I really feel like rents are going to shoot up uh, in the next uh, couple of years because everyone's going to sort of pull back from uh, buying. Yeah, and the rental market, I mean, from what I, I'm hearing from the uh, podcast and the people we've been having on is, is the rates are not quite coming down. It's not that the rates are coming down, it's the concessions are going way up. Right. So the rates were going up, and they were going up from 2010 to 2016, and then they've been flatlining since right. the market's been going down. So it hasn't really come down with the sales the sales trends. Right. Yeah. Um, but I also think that the high line in itself is a sort of a microcosm of what's happening in Manhattan as a whole, which is that... There's a, an entire shift in taste and preferences to new developments, quote-unquote hipper areas, and you have areas, cachet areas used to be, like Sutton Place, that are just lingering on the market. And because yeah. that the, it used to be that, all right, if you want to say you've made it in Manhattan, you had a townhouse in Sutton Place, you were a member at the Met Opera, you would go to the galas at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and now, you know, you know I want to live on the High Line. I want to live in a new development with a pool in the basement and a roof deck and my own terrace. And I want to go to the Whitney, which is right down there. I don't need to go up to the, the sure. I'm going to go to Bam in Brooklyn. So you have a whole shift in taste and demographics too, which I think is affecting a lot of the stuff. So in a sense, the High Line might be creating, it's possible that it could be creating affordable housing in neighborhoods where it's displacing residents where they're shifting out. But right. I mean, that's just a crackpot theory. We did, uh, we did this story about, um, uh, you know, how... Uh, Two plus two doesn't you know equals three, and mm-hmm. it's uh, about all these developers uh, who came out and said, "Oh, this development we're we're almost fifty percent sold. Like right. anything under fifty percent, they could sort of fit the numbers, mm-hmm. but above fifty percent because they had to show the numbers to the banks. They couldn't really uh, uh, you know lie about those. And then we went back uh, and checked out checked all the contracts during the time that they said that they had sold fifty percent. It turned out like." Some of these guys that were saying that they sold 50%, they really sold 12%. And I'm, t- I'm talking about like major developers. We had, we had a lot of unhappy customers after we did that story. Well, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it, was, it was very important for us to do the story because what a, a developer going uh, you know, to the media and saying like, hey, I did this um, you know, uh, super tall on 57th Street and I'm almost 50% sold when in fact he had only sold 12%. Mm-hmm. What that causes, it causes this uh, sort of uh, generic inflation where the guy next door to him who owns the lot says, oh my God, he's already at 50%, I better get my lending and right. start building now. Right. And then what happens is that he starts building, he hasn't sold anything. The, guy's, the guy next to him is still at 12%, and then all the stuff piles up on the market. So you know, by us doing the stories about, uh, uh, you know, you know, Ian Schrager was mm-hmm. another one who like sort of fit the numbers. 
and then I think anybody would sort of go check the contracts to see what's what. Yeah. And uh, it's it's not very transparent. And Jared and Sean were talking about this as well. And 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 look, they were saying we need we need that transparency to get the market going back again. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's actually you know the more transparency, the, the better the market. Of course, yeah, one hundred percent. It'll be more. Some people are not going to like it. Yeah. Some people are going to look like uh, you know they didn't know what they were doing. Right. But I think. Uh, <clears throat> The market's job is not to make people look good. The market does what the market wants when the market wants to do it. And, yeah. you, and if, you, if you ride the right way, you will look good. Yeah, I think so. You know? Yeah. Um, interesting. Uh, I want to go um, into the new mansion tax that's yeah. going on. Um, a lot of people are, are got some pretty vocal reviews here. So what, do you, what are you thinking about that? My general attitude about any sort of a tax is that uh, you know, unless they have a real clear plan of what they want to do with it, mm-hmm. uh, you have a business. You guys have a business. You know what it is. As money comes in, if you don't have a clear plan for it, somehow that money disappears. Yeah. It goes to pay for this thing. It goes to pay for that thing. Right. And next thing you know, the money's not there. <laughs> so I'm okay with whatever tax, you know, we got to keep, it's a very small old city and we have to keep it active, you know, it's for eight and a half million people. There's a lot of things to fix in it, mm-hmm. but, uh, I don't trust, you know, uh, you know, it's, New York is a hundred seventy five billion dollar business. I don't trust the people we have in government to manage that kind of a business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And unless we have like a real clear plan on what uh, they want to do with this tax, it's just going to be another tax that's going to get layered on, that's going to get wasted, right. that they're not going to know what to do with it. And then they'll add another tax to it and they'll keep adding taxes until we fix government or uh, people leave the city. You right. Know? And, and, they're, and they're saying it's what, for, for MTA fixes, basically? Yeah, well, I, I, I don't think, they're, like Amir was saying, I don't think there's a clear plan. There I was think no, it was yeah. like, it, you it's know, very, the, whole very thing, vague the whole thing started out as a conversation. Right. And then next thing you know, they, they were talking about the Peter Terra tax, right. and that got everybody panicked. And the people who were the most panicked were the you know the new develop the new condo developers. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, and rightfully because they were like, oh, you know, it's going to pull uh, pull back a lot of buyers because it's right. just not going to make sense. The market that that sector of the market's already hit. I mean that they got hit the most. That five million plus. I mean, this yeah. is progressive tax, right? Um, so that five million plus sector has got hit the most, and and John and I were just talking about it. It, it almost started to look before the whole Pietro tax and this turned into the mansion tax started to come news. Yeah, um, it looked like that sector was starting to normalize and yeah. standardize, and right. it looked like maybe even it was starting to come back a little bit. And it looks like that just kind of put a crimp on it. And well, it, just wait. yeah, I think if you're a wealthy yeah. buyer and you've you've bought a ten million dollar, eight million dollar condo in the city, and you intend to. St- Use it essentially the safety deposit box. A pied terre tax is essentially uh, it's confiscation. Yeah, and you're basically just going to bleed it out. And yeah, it's, I, it's yeah. not worth it. It's just and it's you know it, it's the, it happens all the time. They keep layering taxes on uh, citizens, yeah. and they don't have a clear plan of what they want to do with it. And I, so I was totally against it, and I'm to, against the mansion tax too, yeah. only because they already mismanage so much money as it is. Yeah. And to, then to tax people more so that they can mismanage even more money, it just doesn't I mean, you know it's gonna You know where it's going to end, right? You know it's going to end in mismanagement. And, and it's it, right now, it's just causing more pause on the buy side. And that just hits the transactional element of this market. It's horrible. And, and this market needs to transact, you know? No, because you, honestly, who wants to go for government? You know, it's uh, if you had experienced people, people would like knowledge of like what, really, what it really takes to run this city or run right. the state. Uh, unfortunately, people don't want to deal with the scrutiny, right? Now, you, yeah. you, every part of your life is scrutinized. Right. God forbid, if you know, I ran for government, it would be a field day. You know? <laughs> All the dirt, you know? And it would be actually really fun, but like, I would never do it. And a lot of other people would never do it because it's not worth it, right? Yeah. It's not, you sort of trust, you rather pay the extra tax and have somebody who has 
very little to expose, you know, uh, you know, run it. Right. But um, well, hopefully, policy if it if it if it's that crimping, hopefully it comes around, you know, or something. I don't know. Well, I, one I, of, yeah, one of the other taxes embedded in the budget was the uh, congestion tax, which is going to right. ideally start below 60th Street. I'm not sure if that's how that's going to affect developers who have new new units going in in these in these areas or garage owners or commercial owners and how that's all going to shake out but i mean it's essentially another tax on mobility yeah right, yeah. right now you get in the, they just added something they added uh, the the taxi commission added something as soon as you go into a cab like yeah that, it's like you, you basically pay the subway fare yeah. the, tax. the meter starts off at six dollars as yeah, soon exactly. as you get into the cab so yeah. it's uh and, and, you know, that also applies to the uh, car uh, sharing apps, too. Yeah. So, like, out of the, you know, as soon as you get into the car, it's $6. No, I, and I just noticed that. I just noticed it was, it was like a week and a half, two weeks ago. And I, and I what usually is a um, the standard fare from the train station to, to where I'm going um, to drop off my stuff when I'm in the city is always around 15 bucks. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it was 21 bucks. Wow. And I'm like, it was the same. I'm like, what the hell just happened here? He's like, right. oh, yeah, there's a new thing. I'm like, oh, God. Right. You know. Um, all right, let's let's go into a different topic. Compass, yeah. Compass is uh, is doing its thing. They just bought Stribling. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you thinking? I think it was a good buy. Stribling is uh, you know in terms of uh, revenues and sales, they, they were the I think one of the largest independent ones in the city. So it was a yeah. good buy. And they, you know we do this ranking of um, uh, revenues and commissions per broker, and Stribling is always up there, like mm-hmm. high up, with. Uh, uh, with Sotheby's in terms of right. like the amount that their agents pull in, so it was a good solid buy, and you know, Compass is buying firms all over the country, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of those firms have a lot more agents than Stribling does, but they don't yeah. do the numbers that Stribling does because Stribling is out of New York. They have a decent new development business, right? So it was, uh, I thought it was a really smart buy. I don't know how much they paid for them. Was that in this? No, I don't, I don't think, think it was, it was disclosed. disclosed. I mean, it's it's a great brand. Um, and the, the people there are very loyal to that brand. Yeah. And they tend to be, you know, seasoned, mm. you know, top producing kind of, you know, active agents. They're like professional brokers. It's yeah, not like yeah. somebody who came out of college and wants, uh, let, let me try this. That's right. And right. this and this market is a market geared toward brokers. And these are the people who are actively transacting in this market are the professional brokers who know how to get a deal done. Yeah. It's not like you can throw anything on, out on the market and just get snapped up right. within 45 days. Right. Yeah. So. And I'm curious what agents are thinking. I mean, I, I bet you they have different thoughts amongst the Stribling community. Um, I'm curious to see how things shake out. I wonder if there's going to be any recruitment going on now because of you know the news. You know Elizabeth Stribling, uh, the daughter. Yeah. I think she's super bright. Yeah. And she really understands the market. She's an amazing communicator. Uh, I wonder what her role is going to be. Uh, you know, at Compass. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. She's very. I've seen her a number of times in conferences. And she's always um, very, very intelligent. Yeah, I thought so. Too. Very keen to the market. Um, yeah, and I think. Look, I think. I think. Comp- I think they're what they're gearing up for an IPO, right? They need to. Um, they need to show man revenues. Up. Yeah, they need to show yeah. revenues. They need to get that revenue up, and they need. They need to show that new dev. I think the new dev and the revenues is what I think this purchase was all well, about. You saw what happened with uh, Massey Knackle, right? So right. Uh, Cushman and Wakefield was about to go public and they didn't have enough asset sales business or mm-hmm. transactions. And Massey was killing everybody because they were going, like Cushwick Cush was not going below $20 million. Yeah. And Massey was like, we'll just do anything that yeah. you throw away. But And they managed to pull in a lot of volume. Mm-hmm. And they got bought for a really sweet amount, uh, you know, like literally two months before uh, Cushman went public. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. All right, this is good stuff. Um, I want to. We're getting towards the end here, and I want to kind of ask you. You know, now that you're uh, running this amazing media machine um, in the real deal, looking back, tell me, tell me some of the craziest 
Like, tell me some of the stories that that, that roil the feathers because you're about feather roiling. Yeah. It's, it was. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because you know uh, I'm a really nice guy. Okay? You are. You're, so you're, you're like, right, right, I'm right. a really nice guy. So a lot of people think uh, like we we would do these stories. And at first, people were like, well, okay, hold on. This guy has a real reach. Like, there's real engagement with his content. Uh, let me befriend him. And they would befriend me one way or another. I get invited to bat mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs and people's weddings. And then, you know, we would do a story. We have a, the largest uh, real estate editorial team, on, you know, in the country. So we would do a story on somebody that I just happened to be at their you know, at some right. event at their house, and they would be like, why are you doing this to me, bro? Why would you do this? You, you were just at my kid's wedding, you know? <laughs> and I was like, you know, to be honest, I didn't know we did the story. We, we do close to like 90 stories a day in all four cities. Right. I, you know, I only read the stories I absolutely have to read. Right. But, um, you know, there's a great saying from uh, Joseph Pulitzer who says, uh, you know, publishers have no friends. Right. And it's so true. I was just going to ask you how, you, I was going to ask you how your friends are. It's, I mean, if we so count true. them on one hand. <laughs> right. It's all my old friends from high school. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, I, I always found that to be very true. And, you know, you get threatened a lot, but there's uh, the freedom of press in this country. It, it gives you incredible weight and power. Right. And uh, it, for better or worse. Right. But, uh, like, you get really powerful people who, who are very good at being intimidating. Like, right. really right. serious people. I can imagine. Uh, that, you know, do this for a living. Mm. And they're like adults who behave like children. They right. just... Uh, Lose it. They're like, I got ninety million in this project. How much you think you're right, worth to me? Right. Like, I don't give a shit about you or your business and all this other stuff. Oh boy! And uh, it's a. At first, we used to get really. Uh, I would get really nervous about that. And right. Because, but then you, one thing you realize that everybody who's in a position of power, as many friends as they have, they have as many enemies too, mm -hmm. right? So there's always like a balance of things. And I remember this guy who was a very big, powerful guy. I started calling people and telling them not to advertise with me. He literally s spent two days going through uh, our advertisers and calling people. Be like, "Hey, I'm so and so. We do business with you guys here and here and here. They don't we don't want you to advertise with the real deal anymore." And you know, these some of these people would contact us and be like, "The balls on this guy." Yeah. But you know, some of them would listen to him and pull out their advertising. Right. So you know, again. We, we can't do it the same way we write about it and he can't do anything about it right, we right. can't like sue him saying like why are you calling my advertisers right. but uh, you know it was a tactic that uh, he was trying to apply but it actually backfired and helped us because a lot of people didn't like the idea of somebody trying to you know stop the press especially right. we, we, you know, we have no agenda here I wish we did I mean I would have a lot like it would make me feel better but like right. my you're, writers, you're reporting news my, yeah. yeah my writers write about what's news and uh, what's important they're not going to listen you know does it get tricky with your with your advertisers? Do they want to always call like, all right, I'm gonna advertise five hundred thousand dollars on your site in the next two years. Yeah, I want I want twenty articles and yeah, well, know, it's gotta be all good stuff. Right, they don't ask for articles, but uh, they complain. They're like, why would you do this? Like, there's an example. There's a tech company that spends exactly that with us, yeah. and uh, they, we did a story about how their tech doesn't really work. Right, right? it's in concept, it's mm -hmm. brilliant, it's great. Right, but now people now people are complaining, and that's the thing with all tech. I mean, yeah. we're in the early parts of tech, uh, property tech right now, so there's a lot of tweaks and kinks right. to go through. So a lot of it doesn't. Uh, really fully work. I mean, con the way they show you the video, mm -hmm. it's amazing. You're like, oh my God, that's brilliant. Why yeah. anybody else think of that? Right. Well, because the technology is not there to support it, you know? Right. So, but it, you know, uh, some of it gets applied and there's a lot of uh, things to work out, but that, 
that haven't been worked out. So we did a story and of course they pulled out all their advertising. But like we keep it very, in fact, our editorial people and our sales people are uh, you know, separated by about 50 feet right, away yeah. from each other. Right. So, and we keep it very separate and you know, it always breaks my heart as the publisher, but uh, it also sets a really great standard and precedent right. for the rest of the company and for the rest of our clients too, because they're like, hey, here's a, you know, they just lost half a million dollars in uh, advertising because right. they wrote a story that probably didn't generate even you know, right. 10,000 views. You right. Know? Right. So it doesn't really add up for us, for me personally, but as a business, as a media, right. it's so important that we keep it honest because I feel like even people have the smallest node of suspicion that there is like some sort of a pay for play going on. Yeah. They, all of a sudden, everything is taken with a, you I, know, I, I agree. It, I every, you. everything gets polluted and it's like right. dropping a, a little bit of ink in some water and like yeah. how it all gets tainted. Right. So, so we have to be very careful with that. And my guys, luckily, they keep me very honest. You know, nobody becomes a journalist because they want to own yachts and fly private, right? They, right. they do it because they really like the work and it's important for them to keep the work very honest. You know? yeah. And in today's era of media, it's uh, like old media, it tends to die out, but and those standards were with old media, but like, you know, in places like Business Insider and some of this other new media stuff, they don't have those same standards, right? They don't have the New York Times standards right. or like, you know, the Economist standards. And we try to sort of hold ourselves up to those standards, you know, but with new media, it's so fickle, like, you know, BuzzFeed removing ads, uh, removing content that uh, didn't benefit their advertisers. Right. Like reading something like that breaks my heart, right? Yeah, because right. Not that I go to BuzzFeed every day, but a lot of people do. But yeah. And the fact that all those people are being sort of duped by media that's supposed to, right. uh, you know, uh, hold the powerful accountable and hold government accountable and right. all these people, it's... Um, you know, it's it's heartbreaking. I hope that you know. I hope we don't go in a place where media becomes just like a catalog. Right. Right. Well, you keep doing what you're doing. I mean, I think you're doing an amazing job. You got an amazing presence in New York, and you got amazing respect. Thank you. Um. Yeah. And and you're you're the benchmark now. So thank you. Market, well, so. we're in L.A., uh, Chicago, and Miami as well. Awesome. Great. Amir from the Real Deal. Thank you so much for thank sitting you, down Noah. with us. This is yeah. Noah and John at Urban Digs. We were talking Manhattan, and we'll catch you next time.